the word resilience was being misused because in their system, in their school system, this was the expectation that, and, Mm -hmm. and without acknowledging that people actually do have limits. And we need to acknowledge that in our, in our toxic productivity, overwork culture, right? We need to resist, like it is an act of resistance to, to disagree and say, no, that's not how it works. Um, And what happens to me affects me and to share that perspective with others. Welcome back to the show, Empower Your Life, with yours truly, Cindy Marie. Today's episode is super close to my heart, something that I've always continuously developed how to handle and respond better to adversity in life, especially with today's guest, the founder and trauma-informed educator at Uplift Learning, Inc., She's also a passionate educator and mental health advocate who has been on a 20-year mission to explore the role of education in mental and emotional health. She has worked with diverse clients and developing and optimizing training for in-person, e-learning, and blended delivery. She has tackled meaningful and complex topics that include resilience, which we're going to dive into more today. Another episode to empower your life to the next level. Enjoy. So let's all welcome Ernestina Malhiro. Thank you so much, Ernestina. Sorry for that, for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Cindy Marie. I'm so grateful to join you today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Before we proceed, did I pronounce your name correctly? I know it's a tough name. So, uh, you know, it's it's hard for a lot of people. It's Ernestina. Yeah, it's Ernestina, Ernestina. Malero. That's the English pronunciation. Um, Ernestina. Otherwise, it's, it's Portuguese, but I'll spare everyone the Portuguese pronunciation. <laughs> Ernestina Malero. Yes. Malero. Okay. Well, er- Ernestina Malero. Okay. So, Ernestina, what's your story about resilience? adversity in your life that you have experienced as when how you started to understand and develop resilience could you share with us yeah you know my journey of understanding resilience has been really lifelong right Mm -hmm. but there have been so many moments where um, I've had to be resilient through many different adversities in my family Mm -hmm. and in my professional life And so as I've continued um, to research uh, adversity, uh, also referred to as trauma in my world, um, Mm -hmm. and also uh, thinking about how did I get through, you know, some of my questions uh, before I started my graduate training, uh, my graduate degree, um, were, you know, well, why did I get through all that stuff? And there are lots of people I know that didn't, like lost them to suicide, lost them to illness, lost them to all these different kinds of things. And it's sort of like a whole lifetime of experience. And then it's Mm -hmm. like all of a sudden it just made sense. Right. And so maybe if I could give some more context about my adversity, so it's not vague. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) people know that they're not alone in their own adversities and struggles and challenges. My experience um, with adversity, I guess it starts in my family, right? My family, um, we're Portuguese. I was born in Portugal. We mm-hmm. um, emigrated to Canada in the early 80s. No, uh, late 70s. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my family had lived through decades of fascism, mm-hmm. right? And in fascism, that means that the government policies dictate who can do what, where, who can associate with whom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for example, one of the the government policies that greatly affected my family was um, that there would be a peasant class. And if you were a peasant class, this meant that you were discouraged from associating with people in the other classes. And uh, you, the government only provided fourth grade public education. Mm-hmm. Something to me as a child in Canada, um, I was very ashamed of because, I mean, I didn't understand why my parents only had fourth grade education, mm-hmm. but everyone around me, you know, they didn't deal, they didn't have family members that were illiterate, or they didn't have family members with fourth grade education here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it was only in the last maybe 10 years or so that I really started to look more deeply. I'm like, oh, you know, what did my family go through? And what were the impacts 
um, on them and then on me uh, from those kinds of government policies. And of course, there are many people around the world that deal with like government and politically imposed adversity. And that translates into our families. It translates into our societies and, and on many levels. So how that kind of adversity came out in my own family was a lot of mental health issues. Mm. Right? So that meant growing up with a father who's bipolar um, and bipolar depression is, you know, it's like for those of you, who I'm sure many are aware, but it can be it means you're very high and highly active and then also, you know, flattened out, can't move, can't do anything that in its most extreme forms, erratic behavior, illogical things. Um, down the road that led to um, me also dealing with very serious depression and my brother having schizophrenia. And wow. so in my own journey of recovery, I started to get curious. Western medicine kind of took me to the place where they're like, well, you know, here's your pills. We can't do anything else for you. This is as good as it gets for you. And my, re my internal response, well, I won't tell you what I said to the doctor <laughs> in the doctor's office. In that moment, I said some very choice words and I left and I never really went back to a Western doctor for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, but I decided, well, if I'm going to get better, I have to figure this out myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I, there's, there's no one that doesn't seem like there's anyone that can help me. So mm -hmm. I'm going to make the choice to literally the word that came up in my mind was experiments. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to experiment on myself, what might work. Mm -hmm. And that was in my late twenties. So all the while, you know, leaving my very, my family, you know, with all of their challenges from their adversities passed on to me and me not understanding what, why I was responding, like, why was I having so many difficulties? And, you know, when I finally made it to grad school, it, and I started looking at mental health and education. Um, and I've been working in training, uh, e-learning and training for about 20 years now, but I was just early in my career at this time, just the first few years. And I, sorry, when I went to grad school, I was not in my first few years of my career. But when I finally made it to grad school, I started to ask the question, you know, um, and and see other, other teachers like Gabor Mate, for example, talking about these things, about yes. how our experience, our lived experience affects our mental health. And for me, that was just the most profound relief because what Western medicine, what I had been taught in my undergraduate degree in psychology was that if there's, if you, if you are experiencing mental illness um, or if you're having mental health challenges, that there's something wrong with you, oh. right? It's because your brain is broken and they never ever made that connection despite decades of research that was not publicly taught. Um, mm -hmm. when I took my undergraduate degree in psychology. So finally, to get to the place where I was starting to look at new views, new perspectives about how adversity, how our challenges affect our mental health, all of a sudden, I could say to myself, I'm not a bad person, right? Mm -hmm. Society wants to put that stigma on me, what's wrong with you? And I can drop that because I know that actually the things that not only that I have lived through, but my family has lived through, Mm -hmm. is deeply affecting our wellness, our individual and collective wellness as a family. So then I could have more compassion for my parents. I could, and my family, I could look, consider forgiveness, right? I could start thinking about forgiving the things that had happened. And um, professionally though, it's really interesting because in my personal life, you know, I stepped away from my family for a long time with great distances, right? I made it so that we couldn't visit. <laughs> my immediate, you know, my parents, um, obviously my family's in Portugal, it's already hard to visit them. And I'm in Canada, but I mean, my parents, I put a lot of distance between my parents and I, because I needed time to sort this out, like what was happening to me uh, yeah. or what I was experiencing. So in the end, um, I can say that the process of going through grad school and starting to churn through the research about trauma and adversity, um, I, I think I kind of went in, like if my rough question to myself is like, well, why did I make it? And I started looking at uh, like trauma and adversity. That's what affects resilience, right? Mm. And I could say that at the end of spending all those years looking at trauma research, um, that what came out of it was that like why I got through that question I had before I went to grad school, why I got through was actually resilience. That's why <laughs> I got through. So on the one hand, I thought I was looking to learn about trauma 
formally, but mm -hmm. in the background, I was actually learning about resilience. And so that was just like my huge aha, you know, and, and, and bringing everything at my life experience, my research all together into understanding what affects, uh, what affects resilience and how to build resilience. Because along the way, I was doing my experiments, right? That mm -hmm. whole thing I was sharing earlier. I'm like, I need to do experiments to figure out what works. And I tried dozens and dozens of modalities, like fearlessly. I'm like, uh, that thing, that sounds really weird. We're doing that weird thing. We're going to try, <laughs> you know, only, whatever I could find, you know? So um, eventually how that, you know, that's sort of some, a part of my backstory, right? You said, what's yeah. my story? And where that ended up professionally was, in the workplace right yeah. like the workplace I have encountered really incredibly toxic workplaces so even though in my family dysfunction stopped because I put distance between mm -hmm. me and, and the you know the ongoing difficulties it didn't stop at work right at work it continued right that's like eight hours a day of dealing with really difficult people now not everyone you know if anyone that I have ever worked with is listening to this I hope that you know that there are some people at work and different places that I've worked that were so precious, that took care of me, that taught me, that uplifted me, right? And I will, I will be forever grateful to them. Yeah. And there were the ones that really made my life a real nightmare at work. And like, in terms of like, bullying and um, just, you know, just the really difficult kinds of experiences that can happen at work. Um, so for those folks, uh, if they're listening, I, I, I hope you've grown, you know, I guess that would be my message to them, but in the workplace, <laughs> I, you know, I started to put the puzzle pieces. I'm like, okay, well, this is a lived experience in my formative years, and I'm still seeing these behaviors at work and they're still affecting my mental health. And so mm -hmm. what to do about it. And I kind of got to the point where <clears throat> I decided that I didn't think I could make the, the level of change that I feel needs to happen for professionals um, mm -hmm. is I don't, I didn't think I could help contribute to a solution within the system, right? I needed to step out and to start talking about resilience uh, for caring professionals, because I, you know, the environments that I've worked in, you know, in, in education and in universities and healthcare, these are all caring and helping professionals. And yes. the thing is, when we're a caring or helping professional, we are tasked. So in education, I'm tasked to help other people learn. And what, however they show up, if they're having a hard time, then that's also my job to help them through it so they can come back to learning. So whether you're a nurse, you're an educator, you're a human resources professional, you are an independent helping professional in the world, a coach, um, we're all exposed to the difficulties of others and that affects our resilience vicariously, mm -hmm. right? Referred to as vicarious trauma. So um, this journey has been uh, looking at, and, and also just thinking about how much impact could I make if I supported the helping professionals to mm -hmm. understand how their resilience works, what affects it from their past and in the moment at work, and then, you know, what, what could we, how could I support them in, in moving forward? Because if they understand resilience, if helping and caring professionals understand resilience for themselves, they in turn could pass that on to the people they are helping. So, so that is sort of, you know, that's sort of been my story and my journey of like, how did I get to here? Right. Yeah. And it's like a lifetime of experience, a lot of research and a lot of, experiments and exploration love it love it so many of what you have shared resonate with me uh from um from the family uh, i mean i didn't intentionally separate myself from the family but because like i've been we've been separate ways ever since i moved out philippines and then moved to singapore so my way of thinking, my perspective in life, really different. And I started to realize there's just so much beauty in life that you could discover if you allow. And, um, you know, and, and the other situation that you have shared about the doctor, I also had that, you know, I don't know if I have shared with you my story with uh, getting pregnant and, you know, I have this myoma, I have this fibroids and, mm -hmm. 
what could be the comment from the doctor will tell you you have this disease like you're limited and I don't like that so I told my husband we're not going to come back there mm -hmm. because uh, you know as what you said you did the right thing to do as you explore and experiment and I, I think you also following Dr. Joe Dispenza uh, story that he got a accident and then he was told that he's not gonna have a, a, a back to normal life but he refused that and look what mm -hmm. he where he is right now you know mm -hmm. sometimes it's really that uh, situation that really will really test us and I'm glad that here you are here we are having this, this conversation about resilience because I'm truly a big believer that you know if we don't practice, if we don't experiment, if we don't explore anything that we've learned from the books or education will not be as impactful if we put ourselves out there, you know? So I'm, um, thank you for sharing this. And, you know, as for women, you are such an inspiration because many women right now would might still feel as confident as powerful as strong to speak the voice of themselves as how they understand resilience and so talking about resilience uh, ernestina i'm super curious about this do we really have misunderstanding the meaning of resilience if so what is your definition of resilience based on your experience, based on your research and work and all of that? And I'm going to say this, what resilience is not. Mm. So it's more clear. <laughs> so share mm. with us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I'm going to start off with what is resilience. And I'm going to start off with maybe a short story of something really interesting that happened earlier this year. I was actually teaching at a conference uh, for Indigenous educators. Mm. And of course, for those of us that are aware of the experiences of Indigenous people around the world through colonization, they have endured um, unspeakable things. And in Canada, anyways, in our process of trying to reconcile, to bring forth the truth of what their experience has been, and um, and also take actions to reconcile, like to take concrete, and it's going to take a very long time, but you know, there's there's a lot of emotions flying around. You know, it's a difficult time for indigenous educators and they're dealing with so much more complexity and issues because of their lived experience of adversity of government and church imposed yeah. adversity, right? And they are dealing with the massive consequences of, of what these systems it did to them so in dealing with indigenous educators it's kind of sensitive to bring up the word resilience and I I I had left space in the discussion to like you know how do you feel about this word resilience but I wasn't totally fully prepared for what I was going to get back from these educators <laughs> and what the educator said to me when like with very serious faces and crossed arms which is that is great that is powerful communication when we cross our arms um they said well we don't like this word mm. and I was like oh okay well I leaned in and I'm like well tell me more about this I want to know what you mean mm -hmm. and they they brought something that I forward that I had actually personally experienced and just kind of forgot and um, they said that well people just expect us to continually you know pile on more things and deal with more and more and more issues and like that we should just be able to take it Mm -hmm. right and and so um the idea yeah that's kind of where resilience the idea of resilience falls down right that you should be resilient on your own no matter what like infinite things can come your way and you can stand through it and I'm going to say that we want to take action to be as resilient as we can and it's just true that the human psyche has limit also both are true right it's not like one or the other and so the way that the educators felt they felt that um the word resilience was being misused because in their system in their school system this was the expectation that more change more challenges more uh adversity would come and they should just be okay 
Mm -hmm. and so and so that is something that I I disagree with and they kind of help lift that up in my own professional experience uh, what had happened to me is in a really difficult time I was like working full-time grad school full-time I think I had like a, a ski accident and then a few months later like a minor car accident like minor accidents but like okay I can't walk for a week accidents but I recovered fine right it wasn't the end of the world but amidst that I had a manager say to me well, you, you should just be more resilient. Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, are you actually kidding me right now? I'm like trying flat out my best. And, and I know it's not perfect, but I was really beyond the limits of, of, of normal functioning. Like I couldn't take anymore. And so we have to be really mindful of how we use this word yes. resilient. There's the positive side of it, a resilience, which is like tapping into the resources internally right? Our, our, our skills, emotional regulation skills, the people around us that can support us to help us be resilient. Community can help us to be resilient, but then uh, recognizing when there's a very real limit and we have to stop or our bodies will force us to stop in the case mm -hmm. of burnout, burnout being an enforced stop. So we don't die from overwork, like quite literally. Yeah. So when we're talking about what is resilience, like resilience is the ability to cope through, um, to cope through and bounce back from adversity. So getting through and recovering. Um, but the misuse of it is uh, that no matter what happens, you should just go on forever. And, mm -hmm. and without acknowledging that people actually do have limits and we need to acknowledge that in our, in our toxic productivity overwork culture, right? Yeah. We need to resist, like it is an act of resistance to, to disagree and say, no, that's not how it works. Um, yeah. And what happens to me affects me. And, um, and to share that perspective with others. Yeah. So I don't know if I've, if I've covered what is resilience, right? Coping through and bouncing back from adversity. That's my that's my add-on. Like I've always heard of, of uh, bouncing back from adversity, but for me, it's also the coping through part um, that comes up when I'm thinking about, uh, about resilience anyways, resilience, coping through, bouncing back. And then also thinking of it as a buffer, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, how's my resilience buffer? That's something I teach in my courses. How's my resilience buffer right now? If it's wide, if it's broad and it's all around me, when that when the, the new adversity comes and I have enough buffer, this buffer can absorb the adversity. Now, if my buffer is so close, there's none. I don't know. Can you see my hands right now? No, just no, a bit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, yeah. If, if my buffer yeah. is way out here yeah. and I have a huge buffer, right? Mm -hmm. And something comes in, you know, my resilience buffer is just gonna absorb and come back. Yeah. Yeah. Now when I'm depleted and it's all the way here. Right. And a new thing comes and now I'm just going to crumble. Yeah. And so we have to always be watching and paying attention to where's my resilience buffer at now. And what what can I do to bolt, you know, to 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 boost it. Right. If if it's in a low state. Um, but our society doesn't want us to do that. Right. Just keep going <laughs> and yeah. be resilient. Even if your buffer, <laughs> even if your buffer's here, just be more resilient. And it's not no. reasonable. yeah it's unreasonable yeah what I'm about to share actually uh I think especially in corporate world I think you would have agreed that many people would tend to say then you know just be strong the word strong and resilient kind of resonate with each other and then they would say that you know you you sign up for this therefore you have to show up like you know, resilient. And what I, I think what many people will miss, and I'm so happy and glad that nowadays we can talk about it more freely is the self-care. Mm -hmm. You know, resilience is doesn't mean that you have to always sh show strong because I remember uh, one of the story that I could share with you that I have shared before when I was still doing my practicum in Singapore. And I was in hospitality industry in the hotel, and I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, um, what do you call the word? I was informed that everyone was telling me that I was the one who stole the Walkman, you know, this player, and I was oh. the only women. I mean, we're all female there in the apartment, full of students, 
completing the practicum. And I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, uh, justify myself because everyone was looking at me and telling me, looking at me with the eyes that you are the one who stole. And I just, I just really cried in tears and shared with them, how could you say this to me that all of us working so hard here, you know, proving our worth as uh, completing our practicum and so on and so forth. I was in tears, but that also, I believe that also an indication or reflection of resilience because through that you're actually can still be showing weak because you're you're crying but you're also building your resilience there because you have to speak out you know <laughs> that that's not true I'm feeling horrible here that everyone's telling me that I'm the one who steal that this player or walkman without any proof and eventually I realized that, you know, uh, for me to keep up going and bounce back with that situation, I have nothing to prove myself, but to make, to make sure that I'm doing the right things. It wasn't easy at that time, but I just called my mom. I remember I was crying in tears that everyone's telling me that, oh, you know, you're the one who's stealing blah, blah, blah. But, you know, now <laughs> where I am right now, people would think that, yeah. Maybe you are the one who stole, but I don't think, you know, you have the, the reason to prove that ongoing. But my point is that resilience in my understanding, what many people really misuse as what you have perfectly given example, especially in your field, people will always misuse that to you, against you. Don't you, the expert of resilience, don't you know being resilient every day? But come on. Like what you said, we have that limit and we have to practice the self-care, meaning to say that when we know that our energy is lowering, that's where we can tell to ourselves, it's okay. I'm on this moment right now, but tomorrow I'll be fine. So I'm going to rest this time and tomorrow I'm going to bounce back and be unstoppable again. Is that right, Ernestina? Oh yeah. Thank you so much for, for, your, uh, for your story, Cindy Marie. I appreciate it. And yeah, I think that is, and 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 I think if people thought that because um, because I have dedicating my life to resilience that I have perfect re that I can handle anything all the time, it's just not true. My whole team knows, and I know uh, there's signs, right? I know one, for example, one of the signs that I have that I am, you know, my resilience buffer is getting low, and that I'm maybe too tired is I start mixing up my words a lot. I can't mm. find the words that I need, right? And it just means my brain's getting really tired and I need to go yeah. do something to restore. And so I don't look badly upon myself for this or others. I just okay. say, oh, it's time for me to go take a rest so I can be unstoppable tomorrow <laughs> or next <laughs> week or whenever it is, right? Because I know I have limits. I think in my life, because I have um, literally experienced burnout um, numerous times, um, I, I like I'm never going to return to like you know the 80 hour work week like that's never happening ever again <laughs> our 60 to 80 hour work weeks which I've done in the past and I've really damaged my health you mm. maybe you could say I've damaged my health forever you know but what have I lost okay I've lost the capacity of 80 hour work weeks I don't care <laughs> It's not healthy anyways. Nobody should be doing that, right? And instead, you know, it's like, how can we bring more balance? And the self-care piece, I like to refer to it as resilience practices. There's something about the word self-care <laughs> that I don't like. And, and this is no criticism of you and specifically Cindy Marie or anyone, but I'm offering a different perspective on self-care. I recently came across something so powerful. It was the definition of uh, of rest, and I like looking at definitions of very simple words, words that I think I, oh, obviously I know what rest is, but that really self-care is often on the very individual level. It's something mm. I do myself. And when people are so overloaded and they're busy and it's like, oh, you should do some more self-care. Well, you know, that's sort of getting not, not far off from you should be more resilient. It's different. But it's sort of in that realm. And the perspective that I want to offer is something I heard recently that just, I think it's just changed my life. And it's that rest is, to rest is to rest in the care of others or another, mm -hmm. right? And that, that, that 
and that shifts the view of self of self care of of a resilience practice there's the resilience practices so i i try not to use self care i say resilience practices the resilience practices that i do there's things i do individually and then there's the things that i do with other with others right mm-hmm. to rest in the care of others so that can be people who give helping professionals they cannot receive right for a lot of reasons they feel guilty there's so much need there's so you know if you're a nurse taking time off or an educator taking time off, but my students need me, but my, um, whoever it is that I'm helping, they need me and I can't take time off. My staff needs me. That's, I deal with that, right? Like, um, my team needs me. I can't take time off. What will happen if I'm away? And so, um, when it comes to receiving, helping professionals, it's, this is a resilient skill is to learn to, to not only take the time we need for individual resilience practices, but also making a point of finding places and spaces to rest in the care of others. Now, for some of us, that might be um, maybe we, maybe our family makes us a meal and we just don't take we don't do the dishes or anything in return. The whole mm-hmm. thing gets done for us and we fully receive and we allow ourselves to be uh, in the care of others. So mm. being in the care of others as a resilient skill is something that I feel um, helping professionals, whatever, coaches, educators, health professionals, uh, human resources professionals, something that we, we, we can pay more attention to. Um, so when we're thinking of resilience practices, like I said, there's the individual part and then the part that happens with others. Um, and so that's my view on self-care. It's a little different. Very interesting. And, you know, thank you for sharing your, your shifting the perspective of self-care. Um, if, if I might share, I think, I think it's also the understanding, you know, my understanding of self-care is different. My self-care is that I'm going to give myself a rest so I can help other more. So it's a win-win situation. So that's yes, my definition. You. <laughs> so, so in this case, we're talking the same, you know, mm-hmm. just that mm-hmm. I guess what we are talking about, the misuse of resilience is the same thing with self-care. Yes, I, I actually think there's something to that. It's like, oh, you're not feeling well, you should just go by yourself and figure it out by yourself, right? And that works sometimes. I'm an introvert, like I'm an intense introvert. I need my individual resilience practices. And sometimes mm-hmm. I hit that place where I'm, I'm doing the things and it's not working, right? They're not working. And that can be a sign of like when I know that I need to actually go and connect with some other people, right? And and, and great, engage in my community resilience practices, right? And our social support resilience practices. Um, but also that our culture, and now I know I am not an expert on, on Filipino culture, but I have gleaned and sometimes I get little glimpses into it. And one of the things that I have perceived about, um, the Philippines and the culture there is very like family oriented and very connection focused. Yes. And in the West, we don't have that. And it's a real deficit to us, right? Mm. And it's something that really contributes to mental health problems. I feel um, so their culture can be a great place of rest. And I know sometimes I, I belong to Portuguese culture and I had to step away from it for a long time because of the difficulties in my family. But there are things that sit in Portuguese culture, things like the way, you know, just the, you go to someone's house and they just want to like stuff you with food right? Like it's kind of a metaphor for love. It's like, this is how much we want to, how much love and care we want to give you. And so in stepping away from culture, um, I have lost a lot of that resting in the care of others and trying to be like, isolate, like in trying to be an individual, like following individualistic culture of the West, mm-hmm. we, we lose that resting in the care of others. And I think that in the future, it's something we need to find to restore. Now, those of us who separate from our cultures, we do it on purpose because there's something there that was not okay. And yes. of course, I don't judge myself or anyone else for doing that. We need to take our space. But as I'm aging and I'm healing more and more, and I'm just like, oh, those things that my grandmas did, that my family did, there was some good over there. And actually, those things also contributed to my resilience. So this this big circle of like, 
you know, going away from the things that cause so much pain and trauma and adversity, and then looking back and being like, what was good that was there? Because my yeah. reaction was culture, that stuff's messed up. Just throw that out. <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with any of that stuff. You people are crazy. <laughs> They're like, yeah. I really went through that stage. Right. And so slowly I'm kind of, I'm involved with indigenous culture a lot here in Canada, in my own area. And I'm like, what is it about indigenous culture that is so beautiful? Like just, you know, like literally makes me fall on my knees and weep. Like there's something there and like they have their own massive problems, as I mentioned earlier, but the pockets where the culture has survived in a healthy way is so nourishing. There's so much food mm -hmm. there. Right. And, and, and I'm not talking about literal food. There is literal food you put in your mouth, but I'm talking about something else that yeah. is hard to define. Right. And I think it is the connectedness, the connection, the way people look out for one another that, and we don't get that connection rest in the care of others in our apartments alone. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, this is a bit of a tangent, Cindy Marie, I apologize, but it's just something no, I've been no. really reflecting I, on the last while. <laughs> I know, but, uh, you know, I was just about to say that culture advantages and disadvantages, this is going to be a another topic that maybe we could discuss about because I have a different opinion of, I mean, I like I love that you mentioned about what you can learn from your culture in, in Portugal, for example. It's the same thing with me because I have my own personal opinion of Asian culture uh, that it could be also mean word toxic because of the past generation that over time, in my opinion, many things, one of those is that because of the culture that we have implemented continuously many people in our country <clears throat> being dependent in those people who are working abroad that we felt we are obliged responsible to take good care of the rest of the family and this is one of the things that in my opinion as you know the generation passes I think we somehow you know putting the people to be more dependent and lazy which I don't like. And I separated myself from my family. It's because of those things. Uh, it's just not right. You know, people, I agree that we have this connectedness. This is one thing that I love because I've learned from my culture. This is how I practice to people. That's why I can connect with people easily. Mm -hmm. uh, you just have that uh, friendly or great uh, charisma in a sense to, to connect with people with no issue. But there's also this advantage of, I think, the, 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 in my opinion, because I've been exposed with Western and Asian, I mix both. There's a beauty with both. And I'm hearing this uh, many from Western people as well, uh, not only you, that you you many of western people don't have this connectedness and i was oh. telling one of my girlfriends like oh we have too much that's why i'm separating myself and i can tell you that's that's not an easy place for me to take that action but my my reason is way bigger than just myself it's again it's my mission and purpose to empower people therefore i have to separate myself so i can you know share and shine out what my gifts that i can offer to people but then yeah i mean we can talk about that on another episode <laughs> because it's super interesting mm -hmm. Well, well, you know, so just just to just to tie back where we're at in the resilience conversation, right? Where we how we got to culture was just, you know, we're talking about resilience practices that there's the individual stuff, and then there's this idea of resting in the care of others, right? And how our souls need that, like we need yeah. that care, and that we need to when we can. And this is something I haven't been very good at in my own life is offering that to other people. I'm currently mm -hmm. on a commitment to like. Where and how can I offer more care for other people to rest, you know, to rest with me, for me to be a place where they come to rest. Um, so that could mean like hosting more dinners, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about these, this, and my resilience model, the resilience pathways model 
does include the social dimension of resilience, right? That there's like uh, like nine different dimensions in my resilience pathways model, which will be available for people to view. Um, if uh, I believe that we'll post a link to my resilience quiz and they'll get a guidebook to help debrief the results of the quiz that shows the, awesome. the, the resilience pathways model with all its different dimensions of resilience and examples, right? There's examples. And the goal with the resilience pathways model isn't like you have to do all nine dimensions, like who could possibly do that? It's like more about acknowledging what we're already doing, right? Mm -hmm. Which is something we're generally bad at, right? We can become good at recognizing I'm already doing all these things that help my resilience. And yeah. maybe I'm going to be curious and we're going to experiment. As you know, I became a fan mm -hmm. of experimenting with what works. Maybe yeah. I'm going to try one more. Maybe I'm going to, I mean, I've heard about this one practice. I'm like, maybe I'll give that one a go. So, yeah. um, so yeah. And so the, the, the culture piece falls under, you know, in the resilience pathways model, it fits under the social, the social Socially. dimension. Yeah. Social and dimension. So resilience. You have mentioned the, the practices, the individual and to care for others. So my next question to you is that uh, I, I'm sure that if not, at least in my experience in my coaching journey, there will, will be a lot of people giving excuses that I can I cannot practice that. Oh, it's too much. Oh, it's too difficult. So I always give as part of the model to people or to the client as start small. Start small, especially for those people experiencing so many overwhelming competition or comparison in our busy life right now. Mm -hmm. So my question to you, apart from what you have shared for those practices, do you have like one specific practice that you can tell to anybody that maybe they have already been practicing it, maybe not, but it's worth experimenting. What is that one particular practice that you can tell right now at this moment that everyone can actually develop resilience easily this week or tomorrow or today after this conversation that is an extremely hard question it's <laughs> <laughs> really hard um immediately you know like five came into my mind like okay four ones, <laughs> but yeah, i'm gonna try and keep it less i mean the present moment Right. And mm -hmm. this is not new. It's everywhere. People talk about this, but simply breathing, right? We can do this anywhere, right? And where we take a moment. And I, I used to be really frustrated. Like when I was stressed out and somebody told me to take a breath, I might just snap back at them and tell them, like, be rude and, and frustrated and angry. Like, don't tell me to breathe. <laughs> right. But actually, there's so much science behind it. Right. And, and, our nervous system, uh, the vagus nerve, it runs down uh, through our, our, our facial our, our facial muscles, right? Our whole face and our ears, down through our throat, down through our heart area, down into our digestive system, and then down into our reproductive organs. So literally, when we take a breath, right, and we inhale, we're expanding our chest and then exhale, when stress comes on, our whole body tightens. I don't know, can you see me curling a little bit, right? Yes. It tightens, that's the natural thing. You know, decades ago, there was research that depressed people have collapsed postures. Mm. They never said why, they just said they noticed. I'm like, but that's research, right? We start by noticing something and then we figure out more later. So, and so there are so many practices, like oh, I'm thinking like yoga, for example, you know, it has so much focus on opening our chests mm -hmm. open stretch here and you don't have to do yoga you know you can just figure out how to stretch your chest but your breath stretch it does the stretch when we really fill in as deeply as we can it does stretch this area where your vagus nerve runs through right and so um i'm gonna say with the breath if you want to like turbocharge the breath and when i say the breath i mean you can be as simple as you know uh the best is Inhale, say for th whatever you can manage, three, hold for three, exhale for three. But the holding is really important because another way, another mechanism of nervous system regulation mm -hmm. is holding our breath, 
not to the point that we pass out or injure ourselves. That's not what we're talking about. But in yogic breathing, they use breath holding a lot because holding our breath, it's called the diving reflex. It engages the diving reflex. And -hmm. when that's engaged, it, it is a profound way to quickly transform our state. If we're in a, in a, in a moment of stress and we need to perform in stress, the front part of our brain that helps organize and plan and logistics off, (laughs) it is off. So to turn it back on, we can use the breath. Now inhale, we're stretching and then we hold. Now we're engaging the diving reflex and then exhale really nice Mm -hmm. and slow, right? So, um, that's just a little explanation of the breath so if you're one of those people like me that would be super annoyed if someone told me to take a breath (laughs) like get out of here then here's a little bit more rationale about why it's so powerful our nervous system is designed right for fight flight and freeze the stress response but it also has this built-in mechanism to turn it off right and so a breath isn't just a breath a breath is a powerful act of empowerment of like i have agency with my nervous system I can do something here I'm not broken so Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess if you want to take the breath up a level go to nature and notice what is good and beautiful there's lots of research that this is very helpful for us Mm -hmm. so yeah breathe in nature go to your park go look at a tree anything green your favorite plant in your house and just notice life, notice beauty, notice what is good. So if you put breath and those two things together, that's that's some of the most core. Everything I do, a lot of my resilience practices in nature, um, you know, it's all about, it's a lot about that. Those yeah. Little, yeah. I love it. I love, it's, it's worth reminding or repeating the being present, you know. I think when we have goals, which is not bad, but we also tend to focus more on the future that, does we tend to have this so much stress and when you combine it being present and then the breathing is really relaxes everything else your nervous system including your brain (laughs) right so I love that you mentioned repetitively because it might be like what you said yeah don't give me that such of advice of breathing but I think many of us when we forget forgot all of these practices when we heard about it oh yeah you know let me try again but most importantly spending time with the nature because I practice this so so deeply because nature is one of the the most effective medicines free you know and most of us looking for all of these medicines I'm not saying I'm not against medicine I am more advocating that there's so much things that we we can do before doing that. And mm. nature is just there. And nature is powerful more than we can imagine. It's very connected with us. So I love that you mentioned that. And yes, go, go with the nature, go, go with the breathing and also being present in the moment. And of course, I think that also tied with optimism, so I'm a big fan of optimism topic. And this is also one of the things that I love to discuss, express, and, and have a conversation in one of my modalities as well in, in, in my journey. And so I'm super curious, you know, I know that it might, not might, but it's really challenging to experience the life of indigenous uh, community. And mm-hmm. while you have a different life in Canada as well, or in your community, in your team, and the people that you help. So, you know, you see the two different lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that also makes you, I believe, keeps you grounded, centered. But I'm super curious with all of this thing that you are super dedicated and very passionate of keeping people aware about resilience and how it works. How do you keep yourself optimistic with your, all of this research work that you're doing? Mm, well, Cindy Marie, that some of the research I like literally my research has made me very sick. Like at times, like I would be reviewing because the content of the research, especially about trauma and adversity, yeah. is sickening, right? It's literally sickening. Like I might read a study and then I would be like dry heaving on my living room floor, and I'm not exaggerating in any any at all. Luckily, I'm not looking at trauma research anymore. Um, but how do I stay optimistic? 
despite all the adversity around me, despite knowing of the suffering of, of um, you know, the Indigenous nations uh, in yeah. my country, for example, or anywhere. And actually, this just this morning, I was thinking about this. Um, you know, there's fires everywhere, right? Oh, yes. Portugal, yes. Greece, uh, Hawaii, Hawaii, right? Maui, um, all over Canada, BC. Uh, I'm in Alberta um, in Canada and British Columbia, the, the province next to me, is having a tremendous difficulty. In northern Canada, 20,000 people have been evacuated. I mean, it's a sparse population up in Canada's north, but um, many, many homes people are being forced to flee everywhere in many places in the world because of fire. And my thought this morning was, I'm going to have to adapt my resilience work for immediate crisis, right? Mm. To help people move through um, the climate emergency, right? And that's not an immediate, I don't have the capacity to work on that right now, but it's coming, right? So how do I stay optimistic? We have to pay attention. It's easy to pay attention to what's wrong what's broken, what's bad, mm. right? Yes. And we we need to acknowledge those things and work on them, but we also need to make space for the resilience practice, the resilience practice of noticing what's good, what's right, what's beautiful, what's healthy, what's strong, you know, what are my strengths, where am I good, and take time to put our attention on those things so that we can survive. So when I think of optimism, you know, there's learned helplessness, which is like uh, learned helplessness is what happens when we try and solve problems over and over again, and we have no agency or no power to resolve these problems. And as a planet, we're, some of us, like, we're kind of there, you know, like we do have agency, but on an individual level, like what can I as an individual do to solve the fires around the world? Yeah. No. Right. I don't me alone have um, I, I don't have the choice or the control. You know, I could feel helpless. Right. That there's nothing that I could do. Right. And so the flip side of that would be to tune in to where do I have choice? Where do I have control and where can I feel empowered to do something? And mm -hmm. that, like I said, can be very small practices like noticing what's good, what's right, what's beautiful. Um but it can also mean in my life, right? Um, what are the actions I could do in my community? So uh, there's an event I attend every year and they always use styrofoam and they throw away a lot of garbage. And so through my suggestions, they have decreased now, like they decreased their weight. There's no more styrofoam and they reuse everything and they're not throwing the things away anymore, for, you know, just from feeding people kind of thing. So it's like, where do I have choice and control and yeah. where am I empowered to make a difference? And so wherever we can focus on choice, control and empowerment, that are, those are actions, you know, that can help keep us optimistic, right? Because Helplessness can be learned, but so can optimism, right? And I'm referring to the research of, oh, okay, I'm having a moment. Um, learned optimism, it's his life's work. And I can't think of the author's name in this moment, but. Yeah, I was about to say the thing, same thing. <laughs> Martin Seligman, I think. I, I think, think so. Martin, I think it's Martin Seligman, his work. And and we can learn from from his I, his life's work on, on helplessness and then optimism because he hit the wall. Where am I going to go with this helplessness stuff? We need something else and the optimism. So those are some of my suggestions. I'm sorry I'm not good at answering only one thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's totally fine. And you know, your answer always, I mean, everyone's answer valid. It's because I believe that we don't have to be expert in optimism because we do. Uh, as a human, we have that automatic response on how, again, uh, over time, as you, as an educator, you are in depth of doing the research to understand really about resilience. But for example, for me, I never knew all of these terms, not until I have studied deeply when I entered the coaching journey. You know, all I know was the terms as for regular conversation the labeling and all of that the terminologies but we do practice that already so your answer is valid <laughs> <laughs> and so before I ask you as 
I'm sure a lot of people would be keen to, to know where they can find you or where they can reach out to you. Is there anything that you want to share as part of your message that we didn't cover? Well, maybe it's just that, you know, kind of the reason why I do everything, like my my vision for the world is that we live in a world that is um, understands how adversity affects us mm-hmm. and what to do about it and that we stop that we bring more kindness and compassion to those who are affected by adversity and adversity is on our doorstep and it's going to increase what we've seen this year is that the level of adversity everyone's facing in the world uh, not only helping professionals but just communities in general is only to increase and so after adversity when people are struggling with their mental health that mm-hmm. we offer them kindness, compassion, and support instead of judgment um, and othering, right? That we we understand that these words, um, you know, it's not what's wrong with you. It's what's happened to you. Yes. Those are words of compassion, right? That we can offer compassion to others and ourselves, right? And ourselves that when we go through things, that we are compassionate and kind to ourselves and that we become kind and compassionate to others who also are dealing with adversity and that together that we work together to learn uh, as a society as a world as a planet how to support each other in adversity with more clarity like that is that is it is destigmatizing work that i am up to right and that these understandings will help decrease the stigma of people not feeling well after they've gone through things. So that's just my greatest wish in the world, whether that's in our personal lives or our professional lives, that we start to build the systems of support for ourselves and one another in our different spheres of life. Wow, incredible. And I support you on that. I'm a big believer that we can do so much individual, but collectively it's more powerful you know, and this is why part of the mission and purpose of this Empower is to bring more people like you so we can, you know, bring more knowledge and uh, expertise and stories to encourage more people that there's so much thing that we can do in this life, especially in the adversity that we're experiencing every day. So thank you. Thank you so much, Ernestina. But before I let you go, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn as Ernestina Malero, and you can also find me, um, our website is upliftlearningonline.ca. It's currently uh, under a massive redesign, which I'm so excited about. I can't wait to relaunch the site. It's going to be better <laughs> than ever. Um, so stay tuned for that. And yeah, those are the main ways. So on LinkedIn, Ernestina Malero, and then upliftlearning. Uh, online.ca we're not doing a lot of social media posting but the plan is that when we relaunch the website that we're going to start doing a lot more teaching uh, via social media on on a more regular basis so um, of course reach out to me if any of you have questions if you're interested in learning more about resilience uh, for for individually um, you know as professionals as helping professionals Uh, or for your organization. Uh, Of course, when we do our resilience work, there's what individuals do and there's what organizations do. So we're never putting the full burden on the individual because uh, it's it's an incomplete perspective. So we're working towards having that rounded perspective on resilience. So that's how you can find us. You can also, if somebody wants to email me, it's uh I'll put it in the I'll just put it in the in the links. Yeah. We'll put that email address, contact information in our in our links so you can you can find us. No problem. I'm gonna add that on the blog, on the podcast, and also on the YouTube so everyone could have access whenever that may be to reach out to you or connect with you. So Ernestina, thank you, thank you so much for this opportunity, for this conversation with you. I've learned so many things about resilience and all those conversations in culture, the self-care and many more, you know, the 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 connectedness. And um, one thing that I would like to share with you is thank you for doing and showing up with your passion and dedication with ever, not only resilience, I'm I'm sure that there's so many things that you might discover that you feel like this is going to be a great idea to implement, to experiment is what you said. And um, 
so much inspiration that you're bringing in this world. And if no one's is telling you that you're doing an amazing and incredible job, you are. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you. Thank you for the hard work that you are sharing to people because we do really need a lot of people like you so that we can live happily, peace, calm and abundance now and forever with all of this work that we're doing. So thank you. Mm, thank you so much, Cindy Marie. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so grateful for the work that you're also doing. And uh, I definitely look forward to staying in touch and continuing to follow your work. Thank you. So thank you so much, everybody, for watching or listening right now. Until next time, with yours truly, Cindy Marie, here to empower your life. Thank you for watching or listening. I hope you had incredible insights from this episode. If so, drop your comments below and share one small action that you're committed to taking to increase your level of resilience. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button and share so that we can reach more people to empower lives. And you won't miss new episodes. Until next time, stay optimistic, increase that level of resilience, Keep taking action, believe in yourself and stay on your game because you've got what it takes to achieve your dreams and make an impact in this world.